How many, uh, when you were kids, used to play with magnets? Anybody ever play with magnets? You ever do those things where, like, you pass? Yeah, some of y'all play. Pat, you put the, the magnets, like, over the needles, and it pulls up the needles. Y'all ever done that? Anybody ever do? Okay, some of y'all. Did anybody have a good childhood? I'm just teasing. Uh, you know, but, I, you know, little simple things like magnets. And, and you know, I, I, it's really interesting if you take two magnets. You've probably experienced this. If you take two magnets and you put two positive ends together, what happens? They repel. Right? You take two positives and you put them together and it's like this invisible, it's really weird. I remember a kid playing like that. It was like, it's like this force field like between these two. Now, if you take a positive and a negative, what happens? Like that, right? You take two negatives together, what happens? It repels. It's really, really uh, crazy when, when you play with magnets. And you know, they're really cool and put together but, and they're a lot of fun. But you know, in a lot of ways, relationships are like magnets, there are some people that you just stick together. They compliment each other. They, they think what each other is thinking. They finish each other's sentences. They're on the same wavelength. They just, in the South, we'd say they G-haul, you know. They just G-haul. They just get together, and it's good. Then there are some people that they're like two positives, right? You put them together, and it's like oil and water. And, and they just can't seem to get along. When one of them walks in the room, the other person bristles up and things like that. And in fact, I think all of us have known people in the past or maybe even now that, that when they walk into the room, you just kind of feel that bristly feeling and, and things like that. And, 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 you know, when you have that person in your life or persons in your life, then you tend to avoid them. Uh, you tend not to, to want to be around them because, you know, sparks will fly. You've probably heard, heard that type of thing. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling. It's really uncomfortable if you're ever at odds with your own parents. Maybe you've been through that in your life where you were at odds with your own parents. You probably have heard uh, of the poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Uh, she was a poet back, I believe, in the 1800s. And... Um, her father was a very tyrannical man. He, he was just very domineering and just had to be in full control. And when she was a grown woman, he decided she wasn't going to get married. He was not going to let his daughter marry. He was going to keep Elizabeth for himself as, you know, he wanted her there. He didn't want her. But she met a guy named Robert Browning. And they, Elizabeth knew her dad would not let her get married uh, and so her and Robert eloped, and they got married, and they, they went to Italy, and uh, they sailed from there. And at that point, Elizabeth's parents disowned her, said, you're not our daughter. Now, Elizabeth really wanted to be reconciled to her parents, so almost every week for 10 years, she wrote a letter to her father. For 10 years, she wrote to her father, wanting to be reconciled, wanting him to recognize her marriage to Robert Browning. She loved Robert. She told him for 10 years in a letter. Finally, 10 years gone by, her writing a letter almost every week. 10 years went by. She got a box in the mail, opened up the box, and it was all the letters she had written to her father, all unopened. He didn't want to hear from his daughter. He wasn't interested in in reconciling to his daughter. Horrible feeling. I mean, when you're at odds with somebody, or when you're at odds with your parents, 
It's a horrible feeling because at the end of the day, we all want to be included, right? Everybody wants to be included. We, 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 want, to, we want to have friends. We want to get along with people. And, and when you're not included, it, it's a very, very painful feeling. But here's the thing. When you got two people that are like two positives on a magnet, and reconciliation needs to happen between those two people, but it's tough. It's really tough. There's a story about on New Year's Eve at London's, uh, London's Garrick Club, there was a British dramatist by the name of Frederick Lunsdale. And there was another guy by the name of Seymour Hicks. And they were both members of this club, but Lunsdale and Hicks had had a falling out. And so they were both at this New Year's party. And so uh, a friend uh, went up to Lungsdale and he said, Look, Seymour Hicks is over there. You need to go and wish him a happy new year. And Lungsdale said, I am not going to do that. And his friend said, No, go over there and wish him a happy new year. Get this over with. So Lungsdale walked across the room and he went up to Hicks and he said, I want to let you know that I wish you a happy new year, but only one. And then walked off. Why? Reconciliation is tough. It's hard to let bygones be bygones. You all heard that one? It's tough. I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Because to reconcile means to restore friendship. It means to restore harmony. It means from having two positive ends of the magnet, it means for reconciliation to happen that one of those ends has to flip over and become negative so they can stick together. But it's tough to be reconciled to each other. You know, my wife and I celebrated in May our 29th wedding anniversary. That means I've been married longer than I've been single. Some of you all have been married 50 years or more, and you've been married longer than you've been single. And you know, the longer you get married, the, the more difficult to remember how it was to be single. The more those memories of those years when you were single tend to fade. And you know, the longer, we talked about this, the longer we're Christ followers, the easier it is to forget what we used to be. Before we knew Christ, we, it, it's easy for us to forget how powerless we were over sin before Christ. It's easy for us to forget that feeling of being separated from God. And I just want to review real quickly last week as we're talking about identity. And I, I, and I reminded you last week that a humble saint, it's very important that the, one of the ways that we saint, that we live out our identity, is through humility. And a humble saint remembers if you and I are going to live out our identity as saints, we have to do it by remembering and we have to do it in humility. And there are several things I gave you last week. I'm just going to quickly hit those. A humble saint remembers their past before repentance. And this is so important for reconciliation to happen. You have to remember what you used to be. Right? And, and last week Paul said you used to be dead in your trespasses and sins. You used to be to buy into the world's wisdom. You used to be under God's wrath. In fact, before you and I became saints, if we had died in that state, in our state of rebellion, we would have gone to hell. We would have. We would have been separated from God. Now, I'm going to say something that may shock you just on that subject of hell. But God in his love... Created hell. I'm like, what? 
I mean, how can God and his love create hell? Well, think about it. Hell is a place where people go who refuse to believe, who refuse to accept Christ as their Savior. Everybody in hell has at one point been confronted with the truth and has said, no, I don't want it. So what God did is he created hell, and also for the angels who said, we don't want you, God. And God in his love created hell for the people who said, we don't want you. And in his love, he created a place for them called hell. Because think about it. If you didn't want God and died and went to heaven, heaven would be hell. God would not force you to spend eternity with him whom you refused to accept and acknowledge when you were alive on this earth. So God says, okay, if you don't want me, if you don't want my love, if you don't want my mercy, and if you don't want my grace, I'm in love. I'm not going to force you to go to heaven. I'll let you go to hell. So you don't have to deal with my love and my mercy and my grace. You can deal with my wrath. Does that make sense? For those who've accepted him, God says, in love, I'm going to invite you to spend eternity with me because you want me. So, but Paul says, you know, before we died, if we would have died in that state of rebellion, that's where we've been. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We, we, were, un, we were buying into the wisdom of the world. We were under God's wrath. A, a humble saint remembers their past before repentance. A humble saint remembers what God has done. Remember this, saints. And again, if you're a saint, then what I mean by that is you're a person who at one point in your life said, I need a Savior. I know I'm rebellious. I need a Savior. And I believe Jesus is the one. He died and he rose from the grave. And that that, that, that seals it for me. Yes, Lord Jesus, please save me from my rebellion. Please save me from the consequences of my sin. I am trusting you completely as my Lord and Savior. And, and, a, and, and at that point, you move from being a sinner who lives in open rebellion to a saint. God identifies you that way. You are a saint. And, and saints, just remember what God has done. He has chosen you. He has to be holy, to be blameless. He has chosen you to be adopted in his, in his family. He has sealed you by his Holy Spirit, saints. He has saved you by his grace. God has done all those things. And a humble saint remembers that as a humble saint goes through life. A humble saint never forgets that. A humble saint remembers his or her position in Christ, that you are holy in Christ, that you are blameless in Christ, that you were accepted in Christ, that you were forgiven in Christ, that you were freed from the slavery of sin in Christ. You were saved by the Holy Spirit in Christ. That that's who you are. And a saint remembers God's grace. Remember, grace is receiving what you do not deserve. And a saint walks and remembers, I didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve this, but God did it. God did it. A humble saint remembers his or her purpose, which is to do good works that God has set you to do. God has gifted you and given you abilities and desires and talents to use to, for his kingdom and for his glory to bring him honor, a humble saint remembers. But let me give you something else today we're going to jump into. A humble saint, because that's so important, is a reconciled saint. And reconciled saints 
reconcile. So let me define that. To reconcile simply means to restore harmony. It means to restore a relationship or harmony. It is when those two positive magnets, it's to flip one over so they can stick together. The question is, why do we need to be reconciled to God? How did this reconciliation occur? What is the result of reconciliation? So I just want to remind you a couple things this morning, saints. Number one, reconciled saints remember reconciliation to God was needed. Go to verse 11. First two words. Paul says, so then, let me just stop there. So then, you who were dead in your trespasses, let me just recap what Paul's been saying here. So then, you who were dead in your trespasses and sin. So then, you who previously walked according to the ways of the world. So then, you who used to carry out the thoughts and inclinations of your flesh. So then, you who were by nature children of under God's wrath. So then, you who Christ has made alive with the Messiah, even though you were dead in your trespasses and sin. So then, you who were saved by God's grace. So then, you who are seated in the heavens, so that you who have been declared by God as holy and blameless and accepted and sealed and forgiven. So then you are who are saved by God's grace. So then you who are God's creation created in Christ Jesus for good works. Keep going to verse 11. So then remember you who are all these things that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised which is done in flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise with no hope and without God in the world. Now, to help illustrate what's going on, Paul was using something that they were very common, familiar with, you and I may not be as familiar with, there was a lot of tension between Jews and Gentiles at this point in history. A lot of tension. In fact, there was a lot of tension in the early church between Jews and Gentiles. Paul, when he began his ministry in Ephesus, he began by preaching in the Jewish synagogue, which typically, what do you do? You go to the Jewish synagogues because that's where the God-fearing people would gather. And so Paul would go there oftentimes and he would preach about the Messiah. But there in Ephesus, his message at the synagogue was not well received, especially this fact that God had reconciled Jews and Gentiles who used to be two positives. God had reconciled them to each other. And that didn't sit well. So Paul, after one year, was kicked out of the synagogue there in Ephesus. Then he went to the hall of Tyrannus where for the next two years he would, he would preach and he would answer questions and things like that. And it was there in the hall of Tyrannus that he picked up a lot of Gentile converts. Picked up a few in the synagogue, picked up a lot of Gentile converts in the hall of Tyrannus. And in fact, the church of Ephesus was a combination of Jews and Gentiles, but probably a lot more prominent Gentiles there in the church than actual Jews. And, and if you say, what am I, a Jew or Gentile? Well, you're probably a Gentile. We're probably, I would think it's safe to assume that all of us in this room are Gentiles. And Paul says, so he's speaking here and he's really directing to the Gentiles in this passage. And he says this, remember at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. In other words, you were excluded from the blessings of God. See, here was the problem. There was a real tendency for the Jews to look down on the Gentiles. 
Because the Jews had grown up with the one true God. They hadn't been worshiping all these pagan gods like the Gentiles. They drew, we worship the one true God. They had worshiped, they, they had been uh, circumcised, which was a sign of the covenant. They were in a covenant relationship with God. And so the, the Jews looked at people like us, you and me, as the uncircumcised or the unclean. That's what they considered you and I. We were just unclean people. So the Jews tended to look down on people like us because they're like, you, you didn't have the law given to you. You didn't have Moses. You didn't have the prophets. You didn't have the Old Testament scriptures. You, you worshiped all these weird pagan gods, and you didn't have the one true God. And so the Jews, there was this real arrogance sometimes in the Jews, uh, and especially even in the church. And so Paul's reminding the Jews and the Gentiles, remember what you used to be before Christ. Remember, I said this a couple weeks ago, grace givers are grace, grace receivers are grace givers. If you've received God's grace, you will give God's grace. Well, let me tell you, if you've been reconciled to God, you will reconcile. If you've been reconciled to God, you will reconcile. So Paul's just reminding, uh, in, in this passage, particularly the Gentiles, at one time you, all of us in this room, you were excluded from the Messiah. You were without the Messiah. You were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You were excluded from being identified as God's chosen people because God's chosen people were the Jews, not the Gentiles. So you were excluded from being, a, 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 it's called the citizenship of Israel. You were foreigners to God's covenant. You, you and I, as Gentiles, we were excluded from the assurance and the blessings and the hope that, that was found in God. We were excluded from those things as just good old Gentiles. And, and again, you know that. The Old Testament is about God taking Abraham and create, making him the father of the Jewish race. And of course, you know, Abraham has Isaac and Isaac has Jacob and Jacob has the, all the kids, you know. And then the 12 tribes of Israel comes out of that. And then they go to Egypt where they're incubated for basically 430 years and then basically give birth when Moses let my people go. And here they go. And they go into the, and, and there they go out in the desert and they're given the law and they're given all those covenants and all those commands and the reason for that is they were called to be light to the world. That's why God said that. God said this morning in Sunday school we were talking about sanctification means set apart. God was basically saying, okay, Jews, you are my chosen people. I'm going to set you apart and I'm going to give you a different set of rules to live by so that when people see you, they see a difference and they see that I am the one true God. And that was the whole point of, of the law and is also to show the Jews though at the same time that they couldn't make their way to God. It was also to show them they still needed a Messiah and that just because they were God's chosen people doesn't mean that every Jew went to heaven. Only the Jews who placed their faith and trust in God went to heaven. So again, the, the, the law and the covenants were to show them that they needed something more, that they needed a Savior, that they needed to put their faith and their trust in God alone. And so that's who they were. But Paul says, you Gentiles, you didn't have any of that stuff, right? So you were without hope. You were without citizenship in Israel. You, you were without God. You were excluded from all these things. You know, I know we broadcast on Facebook. And if you're watching this morning, there are four questions that everybody wants to have answered. Who am I? Why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? And where am I going? You go to any college campus, you can boil down those quest every question to the, one of those four areas. Who am I? Where am I going? Why am I here? 
what is my purpose in life? And you know, if you're watching this morning and maybe not a Christ follower, there's a vacuum in your heart. And people try to fill that with all sorts of things. All sorts of things. And the world tells you, well, you're just a product of evolution. You're just a cosmic accident. You live, you die, and you become worm food. There's really no, at the end of the day, purpose or meaning to this life other than what you make of it, whatever that means. And you know, we wonder sometimes why the suicide is so high, suicide rate so high in our culture today. Because if that's what you are, why not kill yourself if life's going horrible? Just end it all. And Paul says, you know, you as Gentiles before God, you, you were in that state. What is the purpose of this life? Where am I going? Why am I here? What, what, what is this all about? And Paul says, I want you to know that God broke in and reconciled us. And again, remind, remember that reconciled saints reconcile. So how did that occur? Well, reconciled saints know that reconciliation comes through Christ. Look at verse 13. But now... So you were excluded from all these things, he says in verse 11 and 12. But now, there's that hinge word again, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. That's that, that hinge word that we saw earlier. Remember verses 1 through 3, here Paul said, you were dead in your sins, you previously walked according to the ways of this world, you carried out the thoughts and the inclination of the flesh, you were by nature children of God's wrath. And then in verse 4 he says, but now... You've been made alive in the Messiah. You've been saved by his grace. You've been seated in the heavens. You've been saved by grace through faith. You've been made his creation. So again, Paul, so he does the same thing here again. This time, particularly with the Gentiles, he says, you've been excluded from the citizenship of Israel, excluded from the blessings of God. You were without the Messiah. You were without help. But now, reconciliation, right? Where did it happen? In Christ Jesus, you who were far away to Gentiles have been brought near how by the blood of the Messiah. And that word you have been brought near in, in the original language is what you call an aorist passive indicative which means aorist means an action that happened in the past with continuing results and passive means that the subject did the action on the object. The subject here is God. And the, act, the object is us. God did this. This is nothing you and I can do. You and I did not do that. We did not have anything to do with our salvation. All we did say is, I need a Savior. <laughs> God does everything else. All right? We just say, I get it. I need a Savior. I need a Savior, and God does everything else. And through Christ Jesus, something unimaginable happened. You who were far away have been brought near to the blood, through the blood of Jesus Christ, Messiah. Why should we reconcile? Because we've been reconciled. Reconciled saints reconcile. Because look at what God did for us. We were like God was a positive, we were positive. We were like this. We were excluded from that relationship with God. We couldn't get there. But now through Christ, you've been brought near. Through the blood of Messiah. So because we've been reconciled, we should reconcile. And what does this accomplish when reconciled saints reconcile? Well, we live in unity with each other. 
We live in unity. Look at verses 14. For he, that's Jesus Christ, is our peace who made both groups, that's the Jews and the Gentiles, one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Again, there was that division between the Jews and Gentiles. In his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations. God said, okay, we're not, not, you don't have to do it. In Christ this is all taken care of. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He was the fulfillment of the law, so he made of no effect. We don't, we don't live under the law. Again, sometimes people, a lot of times, who, who, they show their ignorance because they say, well, you Christians, you know, you, they go to the Old Testament, stone adulterers, you know, you know stone, stone homosexuals and stuff like that. Look, this is what Christians do. No, 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 you don't understand. You've never read your Bible, obviously. That's an Old Testament law given to a specific people at a specific time. Christ fulfilled all that. That's why we don't stone adulterers. That's why we don't do those things. Are they still sin? Yes, they are. But in Christ, Christ fulfilled that. We live under the new covenant, which is the New Testament. Christ reconciled us to God. We don't live that way anymore because, again, this is a different time Christ came into the world. He fulfilled those laws and those commandments so that he might, here's the reason why, so that he might create in himself one new man resulting from the two resulting in peace. So Jesus made the Jews and the Gentiles one. Jesus tore down that wall of hostility between the Jews and Gentiles. Jesus did away with those laws and regulations. Jesus created in himself, in himself, one new man from the two. Why did he do that? He did this so that he could reconcile Jews and Gentiles together. He did this to put hostility and death. Listen, as saints, you've been reconciled to God. And as saints, that means we need to be reconciled to each other. We need to live in unity. If there is one place there shouldn't be bigotry, it should be in the church. If there is one place where there shouldn't be bigotry, it should be in the church. Look, I don't care whether you're red, yellow, black, white, whatever. If you're in Christ, you're my brother and sister. We're all one. Male, female, we're all one in Christ. It's been a sad commentary, unfortunately, in the American church that many churches in this country were at one time segregated by skin color. That's a horrible commentary. I spent a lot of years in the Deep South. I saw it, saw the labels. I lived not too far from Selma, Alabama. Talked to pastors who went through that era. That is horrible that that ever happened in the church. Horrible. I was talking the other day to a local pastor here. He's a good friend of mine. He's working on his PhD. He's a glutton for punishment. And... uh, he is, his PhD dissertation, uh, he hopes, is going to be, I told you about uh, Charles Spurgeon, I think, earlier, um, who got saved there with the deacon. Um, when Spurgeon went on and pastored the Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle there in England, London, England, uh, this was in the mid-1800s, um, 5,000 people. I mean, this is before that amplification. It's amazing. Um, Mega church, uh, you might call it. And Spurgeon got it about reconciliation and he preached hard against bigotry in the church and in fact my friend told me today or this week that he found a quote that in the south they actually burned Spurgeon's in Spurgeon in effigy 
because of his stance for racial reconciliation. And I was asking my friend if he knew of, if he thought that Spurgeon knew William Wilberforce, who was one of the main leaders in England to get rid of slavery. Because the Christians who really looked at the word got it. There shouldn't be any sort of bigotry between Jews and Gentiles, black, white, Asians, Hispanics. It shouldn't be any of that. We're all one in Christ. That's who we are. You know, the vision of Warren Baptist Church is to be a diverse family. Think about that. Our vision as a church that we put together four years ago is we want to be a diverse family, united in impacting all people for Christ. That's what we want to be as a church. We want to be a diverse family because there's no room for bigotry at Warren Baptist Church. There's no room for bigotry in any church that preaches the gospel. Why? Because reconciled saints have been reconciled. We've been reconciled, so we should be reconcilers. And, and again, look at, go back to verses, uh, these verses, uh, in verse 14 again. Uh, For he, Jesus Christ, is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law of commandments and regulations so that he might create in himself one. Look at that word one. It keeps appearing. One new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross. We are to be one. You know, the Civil War was horrible. And as you know, probably Civil War history... You had Jefferson Davis, the president of the South. And, of course, you had Lincoln in the North. And Lincoln's main commander was Ulysses S. Grant. And um, after the Civil War, Davis passed away and so did Ulysses S. Grant. But their widows, Verena Davis and Julia Grant, moved in towards each other and became the best friends. These were two ladies whose husbands were on the opposite side in the Civil War, but after it was over, guess what they did? Became the best of friends. They reconciled. Reconciled saints reconcile. Not only between people of different skin colors, it's also between people of different social economic backgrounds. We should be reconciled. Husband and wives, if they're both saints, there's moments of friction, they are to be reconciled to each other. Friends who are saints, there may be moments of friction and disagreement. It happens, they are to be reconciled to each other. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. Look at what it cost Jesus on the cross. He had to go to the cross for this to happen. This is what it cost Jesus. For you and I to be reconciled to God and for you and I to be reconciled to each other, it cost Jesus everything. He had to go on the cross where he took the, the, the spies of shame. He, he, he felt the wrath of God upon him. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took the punishment on himself. Why? So that he could reconcile us to God. And because we're reconciled to God, saints, we are to reconcile to each other. Is it easy? Not always. But that's what we're called to do. Was it easy for Jesus? No. But we're called to be reconciled. What does it require? Sacrifice. Sometimes it requires going across the room saying, hey, let's talk. It requires humility. Remember, a humble saint remembers. 
means you have to sacrifice your pride, your comfort. means you have to go against the grain. But reconciled saints reconcile. And what happens? We get to enjoy peace. In fact, if you go back to verses 14 through 17, look at all the times the word peace shows up. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made no effect of the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man resulting from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put hostility to death by it. When Christ came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Duke University did a study on peace of mind, and they found first on the list to having peace of mind, according to the people they surveyed, was the absence of suspicion and resentment. As long as you got two positives, ain't going to have peace. But if you're willing to be reconciled, and if you're reconciled to Christ, you and I need to be that, there will be peace. And I think most people want peace in their lives. I think when people walk in the doors of these buildings where we gather for worship, they need to feel peace. Whether they're wearing shorts or a three-piece suit, whether they're Asian or Hispanic or white, black, doesn't matter, they should feel peace. They should feel that God's presence is in this house because reconciled saints reconcile. And because Jesus reconciled us to the Father, he created in himself a new person. We are new creatures in Christ. He took the two Jews and Gentiles and made them one in Christ. He took the Gentiles who were far away and the Jews who were near and brought them together in Christ. There's a story of a little girl whose parents had a miserable marriage and they divorced. At the age of nine, she ran out to the street where she was hit by a bus. It took her immediately to the hospital and both parents showed up at the hospital. The doctor told him, your daughter's not going to make it. We can't save her. And while mom was on one side of the bed and dad was on the other, of course, divorced from each other, suddenly she opened her eyes. And with every ounce of strength she had, she looked to her mother and she grabbed her hand. And she looked to her dad and she grabbed his hand. And with the last amount of strength she had, she put them together. Her dying wish was that they would be reconciled. And reconciled saints reconcile. So my question is, are you a reconciling saint? Is there a brother or sister in Christ that maybe you need to be reconciled with? If we are reconciled, then we should be reconcilers. I'm not saying it's easy. But as Jesus said, if you go to worship and put your gift on the altar and there, remember your brother has something against you, go and be what? Reconciled to your brother. When we reconcile with each other, we are growing in our sanctification. We are becoming more like Christ. Are you a reconciling saint? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, 
we as saints still sin on occasion and sometimes in our sin we hurt each other there might be husband and wife in this room that need to be reconciled or somebody watching online who is a saint who needs to be reconciled to another saint There might be a brother and sister who both claim Christ as their Savior who are at odds with each other that need to be reconciled. There may be a child or even a grown adult who is not speaking to their parents. Both they and their parents claim to be Christ followers, both claim to be saints, then they need to be reconciled. You took the first step, Father, in sending your Son. Your son came to this earth. He took the initiative. He sacrificed so that we could be reconciled to you. Father, it's up to us to take the step to initiate the reconciliation. Lord, reconciled saints, reconcile. Part of our identity in you is that we are humble and we are reconcilers. So, Lord, if there's relationships that need to be reconciled, I pray that this week the phone calls will be made, the letters will be written, the meetings will be had, the discussions will be made. And, Father, for those of us who are saints, may we do it in complete humility, remembering that everything we have we don't deserve, but you've given to us by your grace. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here or somebody watching by Facebook who has never been reconciled to you, Right now, they're without hope, without purpose, without God. They're trying to fill that vacuum with money, sex, power. But they know in their heart of hearts that the vacuum's still there. You're calling them to be reconciled to you. I pray right now, there might be somebody watching on Facebook, that they'll just get on their knees and say, God... I've been rebellious. I trust Jesus Christ to save me. Save me from my rebellion, Lord. Save me from my sins. My heart is yours. I'm tired of running. Father, those who have been far away will be brought near to you. Thank you this morning for meeting with us in this place. Thank you that you never leave us. And may we go live as saints. Live out our identity this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.